All right. Welcome back to another episode of the OG Ops Pod. Yeah, you hear Jordan chuckling in the back there. I am your host for today, Brandon Redinger, and I'm joined by my co-host today, Jordan. Go ahead go ahead and say hello, Jordan. I love being on the other side of this, by the way. You, really, you this enjoyed this so immediately. This is great. Yeah, you I did. Never, I really did. I've never seen you happier <laughs> on the podcast than right now. This is great. I love every second of this. Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan. I'm your other host. The other host. Uh, and then we also have a other host today back on the show. Again, I don't know how many times this is, but uh, Anna Aldred. Anna, do you want to say hello? Hello, hello. Happy to be back. All right, cool, cool. So we have a media episode today. And one of the reasons I'm hosting is this is right in my wheelhouse. We are talking about hiring. How do you hire ops people? So this can be a very, very meaty, very interesting episode. We're going to try to dive into all things from sourcing to interview panels to actually giving the offer, et cetera, et cetera. So Jordan, I know you actually more than either of us actually hire the most ops people. How many ops people do you actually talk to a week to help your portfolio companies? Right now, that's a really good question. I interview, I spend so much time interviewing ops. <laughs> like just like an ungodly amount of time interviewing ops people. And the, I mean, it's it's fun and it's it's not fun, right? I love the process. Right now I interview probably four to six a week for different positions. And that has been about the pace I've been on for about eh, about a year, probably. So Jeez, whatever, that, right. whatever that, it's been hundreds hundreds of candidates, probably a hundred candidates in the past year, essentially, for different ops roles, which some of them are bad, right? So what it is. It is what it is. That's right. (laughs) Well, so hopefully you're good at it by now. And what's the split of listeners to non-listeners? Like, do you meet people who like that's a really good question. So a lot of listeners. Yeah, it's very, very helpful. It's actually probably, we actually, Brandon and I found this out the first uh, iteration of the podcast. Yes. That it became much easier for the company that we worked at to recruit because of our podcast. That was actually one of the biggest value adds that we discovered, which was awesome. But for but, marketing, yeah. not for RevOps, right? For every position. For every position. Yeah. Sales exactly. across the board. People would come in and be like, hey, I love the podcast you guys do. I want to work with these guys. Like it was really strange. It was not something we expected. And then they worked with us and they probably left six months later. But, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but probably over 50% of the people I interview either lie to me and say they listen to the podcast or they do listen to the podcast and they actually like ask questions. And actually my last interview, I won't say her name, but it was probably one of the best interviews I've ever had with an ops candidate. I was just absolutely blown away by her. She, I got to the end and like, what questions do you have? I mean, I was sold on her already, right? Like just absolutely yeah. like hire her immediately. Don't ask questions. And she goes on your last episode of the podcast, you said that all ops people should have sales or marketing experience. I don't have sales or marketing experience. How do I overcome that objection from you? Mm, And I was like, oh my God, like the research (laughs) that you did to do that. I mean, it was, it was great. So, so yeah, there's a lot of listening. Well, I I will say, say? sorry, I just have to, I have to know the answer. So the, well, I mean, it's a great question. The reason I like ops people that have sales and marketing experience, they have a deep understanding of the daily functions of that role. And so when they think about solving problems to help streamline their team's business process, they have a firsthand understanding of it. So the way you overcome having not done that is by having good workflows and processes for yourself in place to gather that information from your teams, right? So if you have a really good, like, okay, I don't have sales experience, but here's how I would go to the sales team to try to understand what they're doing. If you're really good at that, you don't need the sales experience. That was my sort of take back. Yeah, that's about I, I almost... Old. She was already gone. But I mean, I care more that she's actually listening to the podcast and going out and learning stuff. And she sounds like she's the type that actually is like pretty curious and hungry for knowledge. I care more about that than I do, do they have a certain background? So for me, it's like, well, you have the thing that's more important that I care about than one of the other things that I do care about still. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. All right, cool. So we're talking the entire hiring process. So so let's actually start from the beginning. Some of the things that I see wrong, and I mean, I've been there myself, and I still see it to this day is actually not being aligned around the actual job rec in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things that probably either gets you a bad hire or the wrong hire, or it lengthens your entire interview process because now you're arguing about what are we actually looking for or you decide to change it or whatever that is. Now you've spent 
so much extra time with your internal team because I mean, hiring takes a long time, interviewing takes a long time. So how would Jordan, would you think about aligning around the actual job description in the first place? It's a really hard thing. So it depends on size, right? So most of the companies that I work with are quite small and they, it's usually the first ops hire. So they don't necessarily Hmm. know. If you ask a sales leader and a marketing leader and a revenue leader and a CEO to go come up with a RevOps description or BizOps description, you're asking them to make a horse by committee and they're going to come back with a camel. Right. I mean, it's just not going to work because they don't know. They don't know the role, right? It's the same thing of like, if you ask me to just write a job description for a product marketer, I'm not going to write a good one. I'm just not. It's not my job. So get somebody, reach out to somebody who actually does this professionally, right? Whether that's like a somebody like myself or RevOps recruiter, somebody who specializes in that, and start with their version of the job description as your template, and then build off of that. And then you basically are starting with the template and chopping it up and making sure everybody signs off on this is what we want this to look like, here's what we want them to know. But it goes beyond just the job description and into what is the background we're actually looking for in this person. Because I think to your point, that's the part that people miss on when they make these, is they might align, yeah, this is the perfect job description, we all agree, but one person wants them to have a sales background, one person wants them to have a marketing background, and they haven't talked about that piece of it, which might not be in the job description, but you should all sort of align on fundamental background and skill set that we're looking for too. And that can be more of an internal conversation. I think the other thing that's important is making sure that you're aligned on what the first 90 days looks like. Like if you're not aligned on what this person is tackling, it's going to be a really disjointed experience for them to think like, okay, I have all the criteria So what I like to see is like that 30, 60, 90 split out even in the job rack. So it's very clear, like, are you setting up Salesforce for the first time or are we defining market segments? Like, what are we doing? And that's really important. And we're going to get there because we're going to go down the funnel. I think that is even more important when you get to doing the actual interview knowing what the first 90 days looks like. But we'll talk about that more. But we'll talk about that more, exactly. Yeah, no, how I always like to kick off my job searches is, yeah, we are all defined, or we are all agreeing on what the actual job description is. And then I get everyone in a room that is going to be part of the panel. And then I'm saying, all right, you two are testing for this. You two are testing for this. And you two are testing for this. And then now you have two people that can actually discuss, hey, if one person says, this person is a really great critical thinker and the other person says no, now it becomes a discussion. But if they both say yes, thumbs up, great. You don't even need to waste time there. Yeah. Or whereas if you leave it to just one person, it's like up to that person's interpretation. So I always like to have two people testing for the same thing. Yeah, totally agree. By the way, double interviews are really helpful in ops. So having two people yeah. do a candidate interview at the same time particularly is really helpful in that same regard. And to your point, you're sitting down with everybody and you're lining up, start with a template of a good job description you get from a recruiter, an expert in the space, ping me, I have one, whatever, I don't care. Yeah. Start with that. And then you agree on that, agree on the background you're looking for, then set up the actual process. Who's going to interview first? Who's going to interview second? Who's going to interview third? Are you going to have them do a case study? You're going to have them do a homework assignment, whatever that looks like, right? And then to your point, like who's going to test for what and make sure you're sticking to that process rigidly, right? And getting second opinions throughout the process because it's a tricky hire and it's a really fundamental hire. So, but locking all that down before you even look at a resume (laughs) is super important. Right, exactly. And then also, I mean, kind of, we just mentioned it too, but yeah, defining your hiring panel, who else is actually hiring and have it be that same exact person for every hire. Not, hey, this time Anna's testing and that, oh, Anna's not available for this next candidate. Okay, I'm going to have Jordan. Te- no, like it, it has to be apples to apples comparison. That's another thing that kind of drives me yeah. absolutely crazy too. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's a thing to be cautious of if you're a leader at a company trying to hire for RevOps is you'll get to the finish line and you'll submit, like, I want to send an offer out to this person and the CEO will say, I'd love to meet with him. Shit. Right. Right. Like really, right. which fine, but then, and always come back with, great, we can add you to the hiring panel and they'll say yes or no. But if they say no, and they still want to meet with that person, you're adding them to the hiring panel anyways. Because exactly. There's no, that's not an option. You have to interview three candidates if you're going to interview one. That's just the reality. Yep. Absolutely. But yeah, I'm also really big on having the same people in the hiring panel every single time asking the same questions because, I mean, the truth is people actually kind of suck at interviews. And a lot of it is because people don't actually 
do interviews or they get pulled in. Yeah, and they you, don't you know told what me some. Asking. You told me some stat on this, like how many people do like what yeah. the interviews are. What, what's your stat on that? Yes. So this is from our own proprietary data from Crosscheck. So we've analyzed over twenty six million hiring decisions that we've touched, and it turns out that sixty seven or seventy six percent of interviewers only conduct one interview per year. Right? That's insane. And how do we expect someone to actually be good at interviewing if they're only doing it once a year? Yeah, that's crazy. You can't be. You will always be terrible at it. It is a skill. Like it is a very difficult thing to be good at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And of that group, there's only a nine percent correlation to quality of hire, which also wow. further yeah, shows that those people who are doing one interview per year cannot actually predict a good quality hire. So the number that we found is once you get to that 12 interview per year mark, which isn't even that high, as long as you're doing 12 interviews per year, you actually have a much higher likelihood of being able to identify someone who's going to be good at the job. Yeah. I mean, it also like screams to me that you should interview more candidates for a role. And I don't, I don't, I know we have listeners that are looking for jobs and they don't want more competition, but also part of this is like you vetting where you want to work to. If you're the only person interviewing for a job and they hire you on the spot, it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. But like if somebody's only interviewing once a year and they're actually hiring, then they probably hired the first candidate they met. Right. So that's probably not going to go well most of the time. You probably want to meet with three or four and bet them against each other. Exactly, exactly. Okay, cool. Now, moving on to the next stage of the interview process. So we have our job rack, everyone's agreed, we have our roles and responsibilities for the interview itself. How do we start sourcing candidates? What are your favorite sources for finding great ops candidates? So ping people on LinkedIn. I swear to God, this is going to sound <laughs> ridiculous, but like ping Jenna Garta, ping Rachel Nazan, yeah, ping Anna, yeah. like ping me and, and say, who do you have? Here's the job description. And I get like one or two of these a week and I always say like, hey, I'll send it out to a couple people. I actually do send it out to people. Right, because it's a pretty small community. Most of us know good people who are looking at different times. I have a couple of candidates that I know right now that are looking that are people I know are great at their job. So just start there. Reach out to people you know and see who they have because I'm not going to recommend somebody to you that I don't think is good. Neither are any of those people, right? There's no reason we would do something like that. So that's the easiest place for sure. And then, I mean, obviously put up your job posting, but I think job postings are... (laughs) A tough way to vet personally. Yeah. I, that creates a lot of problems, in my opinion. They put up your job posting and get the resumes, but you're going to get a bunch and bunch of applicants that are a lot of people that don't have a background or not the right fit, and you're just going to have to, you know, go through and weed through that. So start by asking for referrals. I'm a big, big proponent contracting, getting a recruiter in on it. I know it's expensive, but recruiting help, particularly from folks who focus on ops, is really, really helpful because they're going to do that screening process for you. So those would be the, if I was hiring for an ops role, that's my two places to start is I'll ping my network. Secondly, I would go to a recruiting firm. Brandon, what would you do? Do you want to add? Those are actually the first two things that I would do too. External network. Definitely external network. I'm glad you didn't say internal network. So we actually have some really interesting data on internal referrals. So internal referrals have a quality of higher 26% below the mean. Wow. It's 26% (laughs) below. Right. But what we found out was, this is from that same, you know, 26 million data set. What we found is when you actually remove and referral incentives, it actually goes up above the mean. So interesting. Right. They're not doing it for money. They're doing it because it's somebody they think is good. Exactly. So people refer because they just want the money. And then they'll referral referral anyone. Yeah, exactly. So so wait, are you saying, did you just tell us that the whole internal bonus for hires thing is just trash? Is that what just happened? Yes, that's exactly what Okay, I just want to verify. You know, I love that. I think in my gut, I always believed that to be true. And now I'm glad that you have data that supports it. (laughs) (laughs) I've had it before myself. I'm like, yeah, earlier in my career, I'm like, damn, 5,000 extra dollars. That's huge. Yeah. Let me just go find anyone who's looking for a job right now and refer. Yeah. Like I've been at companies that are like, we'll give like a $3,000 bonus for SDRs. I'm like, what am I like? I could just send a newsletter out to like college kids. Like, what do you you mean? Like, I have no idea if they're good or bad. It's SDR job. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what it says about me, though, because I was an internal hire. I was an internal hire for referral. But they had posted, Bridget had posted the role, and I knew someone internally and was like, and she was like, have you applied? And I was like, no. So then she referred me. Yeah, um, but did she did she get paid for referring she, you? Yeah. Or? She did. Oh, okay. Did she get paid a lot for referring you? Because they might, you know. <laughs> 
yeah, the, the, amount, the amount matters. The amount matters a lot. I'll message Mercedes and ask her how much money she made. Off of me. <laughs> but yeah. no, I think that's true. Like, I think if you're tapping into your network when you know good people, like, yeah. I think, Jordan, if you could get paid for referring good people to good companies and making that connection, that that would be something that, you know, we'd all be into. It's more about the quality, right? We're looking at quality of hire and how do you find quality? And I think people often ping me on LinkedIn, both looking and wondering if I'm interested in moving. And it's always interesting to see yeah. like, what are they offering and does it match with what I'm looking for, or what someone else is looking for? Because often in ops, it's very specific. And so the wider your network is, the better you can find a quality hire that is actually going to, you know, want to go to an early stage startup or wants to go to an 100 plus employee company. Because in ops, people generally have a place that they feel comfortable. But then there's also people who are looking to stretch. Like Jordan said, I know a couple of people right now who are looking to stretch into different roles. So building that network is definitely, definitely key. Yeah. And you know, we've mentioned it a few times and I'm obviously very much in this world, but maybe we should actually define quality of hire real quick. So quality of hire is, we define it as the value to your company that a new employee contributes over a period of time, over time. And we actually look at things like, it's not just their performance, but it's also rehireability, promotability, culture add. There's a lot of different things that you can add to quality of hire, but those are some of the things we think about. Anything else that you would think about when you add to the definition of quality of hire? No, I mean, I think that pretty much so. I really thought you were going to call on me to give you a definition from like the I, I should. I, yeah, really I, I, I thought about it. I was like, there's no way he's got something here. I, no, I was legitimately going to be like, oh, it's like how good the hire is. <laughs> it's the, the quality of your hire, hire yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's, you know, instead of the quantity of your hire, it's the quality. Of quality, it. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, no, I, that's a good definition. Do you, guys, do you account for like promotability in your hire, your quality of hire? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, promotability, rehireability. Yeah. yeah. Both yeah. of those, which are no. slightly different. And then you can weight those two, like certain roles. It matters a lot, the culture ad, or yeah. they don't talk to anyone. They're an IC, whatever. I They work remotely. They, you know, they're, a, I was going to say a certain role. They work at weird hours. They don't talk to much people. They're not going to have an effect on culture much. So I'm going to yeah. weight that one pretty low. Right. That's fair. Yeah, you can wait. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So quality hire. That I like that definition. It's very it's very fluid definition, but we'll go with it. Yeah. The other really interesting data point that we have for sources is agencies. So on the agency side, forty point six percent of agencies are in the lower quartile quality of hire. Yeah. So what we found is like most of the time agencies aren't really that good, but the good agencies are really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's yeah. where the money part comes in that Jordan was talking about. Like you can hire middle-of-the-run agencies that are going to get you bodies, but then they might not stick around. Or you can fork out the big bucks for, like, exactly. we're talking about ops hires. Like, these are the people who are supposed to make that flywheel fly faster. So it's worth putting money behind that investment. And as somebody who has been both recruited and put through the process by an agency, as well as I've actually sat on the recruiter side of that, by the way, and like push somebody through the process as somebody who's going to get paid if they got hired. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hold your like recruiter, your agency to the fire. And yes. what I mean by that is make that sure is- that they're... You should never sign a deal with a recruiting agency that doesn't say, hey, if this person leaves in six months or doesn't satisfactory do these things, you have to replace them for free. If they won't sign that, then go work with another agency. This is a highly competitive thing. And recruiters work their tails off. That is a tough job, right? It is a really tough job. But make sure that they are only submitting people to which they have confidence this person will be a quality hire. And do that by saying, hey, if they're not, you have to replace them for free. Like, And that's fine. Like, They should be comfortable doing that. That's literally their job. Yep, and it's exactly. firmly structured into their comp too. Yeah, like a higher, they get higher comp for a higher quality of hire, right? So I like yeah. that. I like Definitely. that. Yeah. All right. Now we okay. got candidates. So okay, now we got candidates. The actual interview process. Maybe let's go favorite interview questions that you would like to well, ask. There's a thing before we get there that's okay. super important because everybody, this is hard. But if you don't have an ops person at your business, if this is your first ops hire you need to find an ops person to interview this candidate for you. Mm, ah, and I don't care yeah. if it's internal or external. You just don't have the day-to-day expertise to ask them the right questions to vet if they can do the thing. 
right? So go find somebody that you trust and know, and maybe there's a colleague that you've known ops or there's network or reach out to somebody and ask if they're willing to do it. But the, it's the same thing. People do this. It would be like having your whole sales team decide which engineers to hire. They will hire the worst engineers in the world because they hire the ones with high EQ. Right. right, and that right. and that doesn't bode to great engineers. Like they might be great engineers, they might not be, but that has no correlation. EQ does not have a correlation to being great at Java, right? And so, you need to bring in people who actually know the role, have sat in the role, and understand the role to at least do one round of interviews to vet these folks for you. Otherwise, if you're just having like your CMO and your VP of Sales do it, they're going to miss those marks entirely. And then we can talk about the questions that that person should ask. Okay, cool. Now that that's a really great point. I love that. Okay. Now, let's go to how do you actually interview? <laughs> what are those questions? Are you a believer in the take-home exercise? If so, what do you do? That sort of thing. I have to say, I don't like the take-home exercises unless they're like a simple thing. Like, I don't like the idea of like a three-day homework assignment necessarily, although I know it's just as par for the course thing. It's, it's tough hire and it's always going to be a part of the process, particularly a lot of the companies that I work with, they want it and do it and yep. we use it and that's a piece of it and... People will live and die by it, especially when you get to the higher roles. I did one. I've done one lots of times. I've done a lot of take-home exercises in my life yeah. and haven't, haven't always gotten the job. But Have the, you been paid for them? Oh, I've never been paid for them. Never? No. no. Have you been and paid never, for yours? Yeah. I've never had to do one. Wait, yeah, really? I've never had to do one. Oh, I wait. fundamentally do not believe that in marketing operations, if I can't describe to you how to solve the problem, that I should have to put it into words outside of an interview. I also hold this stance because I am a working mother to a young child. And I think that it weeds mm -hmm. out a lot of people who maybe don't have the time to invest. Like I have friends who will do nine hour assignments on weekends. And I just don't have hours. Like nine hours yeah. is an entire week of free time for me. So I'm really opposed to them unless you're testing for something that you have like a, a definitive use case for or you know that they need to do and you can't do that on an interview with. And that's so just I, my hot I, Yeah, no, I appreciate the perspective. I don't disagree with it. I think it's everybody's choice for their own, right? The only thing I would say is I personally like them to some degree when there's a, like a case study or some homework assignment for me to do because it helps me because the interview process is about me deciding if it's right for me too, right? Yeah, and it helps true. me as a candidate. For example, if they asked me to do like a one-hour presentation on like how I would handle this project or this project or analyze data or something like that, right? First, that's where I shine professionally. That's my skill set. So I know I will do well in that interview. Secondly, if the way that I present and the way that I approach things is a way that doesn't resonate with them, I don't want that job, right? So it gives me a chance to like show that skill and test my audience to see if they are thinking the same way that I am. Because if we're not, then I don't want to work there either. I think that's a huge point because yeah, a lot of people will either lie or they'll they'll say something just to get the job where it's like, you really shouldn't because like you really need to be yourself so that yeah. on the job itself, you don't have to lie or on the job itself, you're not making shit up. So years ago, I did a 30, 60, 90 plan for a VP of operations and I presented it to the exec team and it went well and they offered me the job afterwards. And I said, no, they liked it, but it didn't resonate. There wasn't this rapport. There wasn't this brainstorming. There wasn't this back and forth that I typically want in those situations. Yep. And so I was like, I'm going to be on an island. I'm not supported by these guys. It just, I walked out of there. I don't want to work here. This is not the team I want to work with. This is not a team that collaborates the way I collaborate. And I'm glad I did, right? It's yeah. an opportunity for you to decide that too. Yeah, I've withdrawn from processes also because it's been a terrible experience. Or, yeah, dude, I, I had this actually really hot company would have been great on my resume. He shows up five minutes late to the interview, doesn't even acknowledge it, jumps right into the interview itself. And then right in the middle, he gets up and he's like, hold on a second. And he leaves. Five minutes later, comes, sits back down. And he's like, okay, continue. And I was like, this is the most bizarre thing ever. I mean, I crushed the take-home exercise. And I mean, it was one of those stupid ones where it's timed and everything. And they actually yeah. send you software to make sure it's... And then afterwards, I was like, dude, this would be the worst boss I would ever ever work for i'm out of here like script like i don't care how much you yeah. try to pay me yeah i'm not Nonsense. i'm not taking this job yeah but yeah. it should be for you too right like that's it's, it's, it's very it's important. as much for you yeah yeah but i also understand anna's point and i would never negate somebody for saying i don't want to do homework and i'm not going to do homework right if that's not important to you in the process there's other ways for you to vet if it's right for you or not in general i'm a huge fan of actually that take home exercise but 
I mean, there does have to be, I mean, two things really in place. Like one, I don't want someone to spend inordinate amount of time. In all of mine, I try to aim it to be about 90 minutes, which I know actually means someone's probably going to spend closer to three hours on it. And yep. even three hours, like, yeah, as a parent, I obviously know that, yeah, three hours is, is very valuable time. But like, I, I really do want someone who's going to be actually that committed to want to take the time to do it. And then the other part of it, too, is I don't want there to be any question that I'm going to take what you're using and then now apply it to my business. And I'm actually using you for work. I always say this is a hypothetical situation. And this is something we've already launched. But well, actually, so I interview a lot of product marketers. And that's one of mine is like, okay, put together your launch plan. Now, here's all the information that you need. Here's the press release that we already wrote for it. This is a product that we already launched, but I want you to put together your plan. So it's very clear, like I'm not using you, exploiting you for actual work that needs to be done in the business. Yeah, I think that's key, right? Like making sure that you're identifying, like I am not going to use this. And I think the times that I have declined to continue on in an interview is when it's very clear that there is a problem that they're trying to solve internally. And like this, run-of-the-mill project is actually going to be implemented where it's like, well, if you're not going to pay me for my marketing operations consulting time, like I don't want to continue on. And normally at that point, I've kind of already written it off as like other red flags too. So yeah, no, it's a good segue into the interview questions themselves because one of the ways I would never go do this homework assignment, which is basically map out this project that we need you to do in the first 30, 60, 90 days, right? Yeah. Like that is an incredibly terrible thing for a business to do to get free labor. Don't do that ever. Like present an old hypothetical from two years ago so you can see how they handled it compared to what you actually did so you know the right answer and the wrong answer and all this stuff, right? Like you've tested, you got all the things, so you can see where their thought process is compared to where you were. That's the easiest way to do that. But one thing I love to do when I interview candidates, which is a lot, is if I'm interviewing you for role at Bridget. I'm talking to Bridget and saying, Hey, like what are, what's the 90 day plan? What are the things they're going to work on? And they say, we need to get attribution running, right? Okay, cool. So in my 30 minute interview, I want to spend 15 minutes brainstorming attribution with you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like, I'm not asking you to do any homework. I'm not asking you to do anything, but this is really important (laughs) in the first 90 days. And I would like even open with that, like, Hey, this job is going to be like all attribution all the time for the first 90 days. Here's where they're at. Here's what they're thinking. Let's talk about like how you would approach this, what you're looking at, and, and sort of just turn it into a collaborative brainstorming session about it because help you understand uh, their skill set because you're talking about the actual role itself and the function that, that it's completing and whether their skill set and thought process around it aligns to your business, right? And that's a way to sort of still talk about the relevant things without asking yeah. them to do free work. Well, that's Absolutely. what I actually like about that. Well, I care more about that than actual take-home exercise itself is, okay, walk me through your thought process. How did you come to this conclusion? Why did you do it this way? So it's it's actually the, the interview itself more than the actual take-home exercise. Although yeah. I still want to know, like, well, again, product marketing, can they actually write well? Can you put a coherent thought on paper? But have the person that's, say, going back to it, say the biggest project right away is attribution. Okay, who outside of this hire is going to be closest to that project? Say it's product marketing. Say say it's you, Brandon. Okay, Brandon's the one that's going to do that conversation for 30 minutes. Brandon is going to talk attribution in his interview and go through that because it's not only going to help you align, you know, like how did they have the skill set that fits? Did they think about this the right way? How do they work with Brandon? Because they're going to work side by side with Brandon for 90 days and that's going to be really important, right? And so like it's an opportunity to sort of test all those waters and it's important for them too because they're going to come in and work side by side with Brandon for 90 days. And if you guys hate each other, that's not going to work. It's not going to work. Like, yeah. That's, that's so, I mean, it's a really easy thing to do without sort of like teeing over that boundary. And it also, by the way, makes the interview process way more fun for both me and the person I'm interviewing because it's fun. We're nerds. At the end of the day, we're all nerds yeah. and we want to talk about this stuff. And so like that brainstorm is kind of fun. And ultimately, I don't have to go in an interview and just ask like... So tell me about this job and tell me about a time that you had a failure that you turned into success and tell me about a time. (laughs) What's your biggest weakness and what are your three best skills? Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have that list of questions. It's a terrible interview. I want more depth than that, basically. And I think if you tee it up nicely with the job description, I know I'm going back to the 30, 60, 90, but if you tee it up nicely they should be able to walk in and kind of know the questions and have it already framed in their mind. So you yeah. can see already, like, have they thought about, you know, their roadmap for coming on board and are they getting excited or are they withdrawing in the interview? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. What, Brandon, what's your favorite interview question you've ever got? That I've ever got? Okay. 
Good question. Feel, feel, well, Anna, do you have one? I mean, like, it's a good question. Like, by the way, the best way to become good at interviewing is to just steal people's good questions. Oh, 100%. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, it's great. And everybody should steal, by the way, that, like, what I just said about how to interview ops candidates. Talk through a project that you're going to be working on and have somebody do it that actually is going to be working on it with them. It's great. But great interview questions. Who's got one? I have one that stumped me, which is funny that you hit on attribution, Jordan. Because someone once asked me, like, what's your take on attribution? And I was like, can you be any more specific? Can you expand on that question? Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean, what's my take? They were like, no. So then I just worked from, like, channels, campaigns, like, all the different attribution models. But I think depending on the question, you can assess how people actually think, right? So how do they break up that problem, which, to your point, Jordan you're actually putting someone on the spot and being like, organize your thoughts and present them in a way that they're probably going to have to do if they're rolling up into a C-suite or an upper level and having to talk in a precise manner to something that's pretty esoteric when you just throw it out as like a subject. Yeah. I can't believe you actually answered that question. I feel like my response to that would have like, what's your take on attribution? And I would have done what you did, which is like, can you be more specific about the question. And they were like, no, I'd be like, well, then I don't have a take. Like, what do you mean? Like, what do you think about the sky being blue? I don't. I guess, like, what a it's weird... a reflection of the water. Well, no, she, well, she brings up an interesting point. Like, so in my take-home exercise that I always give people, I'm actually purposefully vague and I always end it with, please ask me any questions that you need in order to complete this assignment. And I'm just so surprised at the people that- People want to ask questions. They don't ask questions. I also try to always say, if you have to please make any- Assumptions? Thank you, assumptions, but outline your assumptions. Like I want to know your assumptions that you're making. Yeah. But still a lot of people don't ask questions and they don't actually outline their assumptions that they're making their decisions based off of. And then when they do like a case study presentation, because I have the same experience. And when you get the case study presentation, you go, hey, how come you didn't do this? Well, I didn't have the data. Yeah, you, you knew that you thought about it and you knew it and you could have asked about it, but you didn't. And that's exactly. and, that, and that's, that's a huge. problem. That's a that, problem. That is a big you're going to have to track these things down. Yeah. No, totally agree. I think leaving it vague is helpful, but not so vague that it's, why is the sky blue? You know, why is the sky yeah, blue? Yeah. You know? Yeah. What do you think about this attribution thing? Which I think, to be fair, was a question that I put on this week on LinkedIn. And Jordan was yeah, like, I'm not you answering did. this. You did, you did put that. that through as a question on LinkedIn. And I did say, I am not answering that question. And <laughs> yes. what you are. Tomorrow? Tomorrow you're answering this question. I am, I am going to answer that question on a webinar. <laughs> oh, nice. There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've interviewed them. Okay, so wait, no, that's... Any other questions? So uh, my favorite question, I've talked about this question a lot. It's a two-part question, so let's role-play it. Anna, what's the thing that you're passionate about? Oh, I'm so passionate about processes. Okay, but no, like personal life. Like, what do you do for fun? What are you, like, yeah, what are you passionate about? Like, outside of work. I know you're a nerd, but, like, what do you do outside? (laughs) I'm passionate about spin class. Okay. Spin class. All right. That's interesting. So, I mean, I work out a lot, but I've never done a spin class. I know nothing about it. If I were to take a spin class tomorrow, teach me something about it. So I'm prepared. I love this one too. Yeah. Like, and you, don't, you don't have to answer the question. We can, we can skip that piece of it. But Can I do it uh, really quickly, though? Yeah, you can. You yes, want. Anna's interviewing for the world right now. Yeah. You baited me, so I want to answer it. So <laughs> if you're riding in like a good spin class, it'll tell you your output on each side, which will tell you which side is stronger. And basically, you want your output on each side to be as equal as it can be. Mm-hmm. So you're working your body on each side at an equivalent rate so that you're not fatiguing your left or your right or building more muscles on either side. See, that's great. Anna, you just crushed that answer, right? Like, I never would have known that. You're You're hired. hired. But it's important for one key reason. And by the way, I actually totally stole this question from Ryan Valcourt, who is the VP of sales at at Revenue.io. And he and I worked together, people probably don't remember, but he and I worked together for two years at another company back in like 2012. OG bestie. OG bestie. So, and he asked me that in an interview back in like 2012, which is where that question originally came from. I taught him how to hang a bear bag in a tree is nice. the answer to my question. But <laughs> if I can't teach you something about something that I'm passionate about, 
I lack the ability, like currently, to teach or clearly, which is clear communication. It's really all it is, right? And you should know stuff about things you're passionate about. So it's kind of a low-hanging fruit thing. And so it's a really easy way to find out communication skills and ability to teach. And if it's sales or marketing or ops, you're going to have to teach and clearly communicate. So super important. Perfect. I love that one too. Yeah, just teach me about, well, usually I stick with like marketing specific or whatever, but um, I, I like going personal. I also love asking who does this really well and why do you think, or like, for example, what products do you really love and why do you love those products for a product marketer, for demand gen? Who's really good at demand gen in your mind? What, what do you think makes them so good? And just kind of have them walk through why that is. So well, I usually ask, okay, what's your favorite products that you use? And then, okay, what makes them so good? And then if they can explain that. I hate it when people are like, I love Apple. I love mm. Fitbit. And then they can't really explain why. It's like, yeah. okay, you clearly haven't deeply really thought about product. You know, yeah. so yeah. anyway. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I think that's great. Like, why, looking, how do you approach your life, right? Like, are you applying your life? You're probably product marketing thoughts to your life in a lot of ways. Like that's because yeah. that's what you're asking. Like when you think of Fitbit, like exactly. you think of it from like a product marketing standpoint, you're just thinking like Fitbit, which you're testing their level of nerd, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it really is on the follow-up questions too. Like I always love to ask them, okay, well, great. This is a lot of what you love. What would you improve about their product? You know, yeah. like it it really gets that how much are they actually thinking about user experience and that sort of stuff. Yeah, I will sometimes, because the, the teaching one, I almost always ask if I have time, because it's kind of a long question too, but it also builds rapport, by the way, because a lot mm-hmm. of the interview process is like trying to get people to come work for it. And so yep. that's a quick way to be like, suddenly we're hey, talking about personal life, things are passionate life. Yeah, like it's important. I actually do care about my employees' passions too. So it's it's good to know. The other one that I, I kind of have fun with sometimes is uh, what's the most recent gift you purchased for somebody? Which is kind of a fun question because, again, goes back to like personal. And I also like love the thought process sometimes that you get from people where they're like, I bought them a Fitbit because I've worn a Fitbit for three years and it helped me lose 10 pounds and improve my sleep quality. And I thought that'd be really helpful for them. Like you sort of like start to understand how they're like applying that and or like they were having a problem, their tire kept going flat. So I bought them an air compressor, like how that sort of sort of thing works. It's, it's really yeah, interesting. The answers to that are much more interesting than you would think they are. Yep. I love that. Okay, geez. Okay, we're running low on time here. Maybe we stick to one last piece of the interview process and then we'll go to this week on LinkedIn. Any advice around actually making someone an offer? Because I know the offer stage actually has a lot of, could get pretty messy. There's a lot of things that could go wrong in the actual offer stage. So how do you actually effectively make someone an offer that they're going to want to they're going to want to uh, accept. So part of it goes back to if you're working with a recruiter, the recruiter should have talked to them about their salary expectations. In the, the beginning. The, in, in the very the beginning. beginning. The first call. The very first 100%. call. 100%. If not, your recruiter should get fired. That should yes. have happened 100% of the time. Preferably have, put it in the job description. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's, the, that's the other piece. It should be in the job description and the person should know what the pay range is as it comes in. Right. Exactly. So that like basically take that piece off the board. When you go into the offer stage, you should basically be within like a 10 or 15K window of each other already. Right. Like, and I see this more lately, especially with these new laws are passed about like you have to post the salaries. Then companies are posting like salary range 60 to 200,000. Like, what? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That that doesn't help anybody. Like, that's somewhere between zero and a million dollars. Yeah. Like, we're going to pay you money. Is what that is, yeah. right? Like that—that that doesn't help. So you shouldn't ever get to that point. You nope. should know roughly. Everybody should know. Like they're expecting an offer. They're knowing it's between 140 and 160. You are too. You know, you're yep. you're right on the same page there. And so once you've got sort of that buttoned up, make sure you know the answers to some core questions like healthcare benefits, what that looks like, how long it takes to start, when the start date you prefer is versus when theirs might be, like things that are going to be immediately things they want to know, right? Do you offer 401k? All sorts of stuff like that. Know those, have them written down and ready to go and then call them. Just call them yeah. and make them a verbal offer. Like have HR prepping the work and checking reference, like get your references checked. All that stuff should have happened. Have them be prepping the signed document, but just give them a phone call and say, hey, we're going to make an offer. We're going to send over the paperwork. They're working on it right now. We've already checked references. We've already done the background check. Everything's good to go. Here's what we're looking for. Salary range. And that way, when they're like, great, salary sounds good, or you know, you can have that conversation. Do you have questions about the 401k? Do you have questions about healthcare? Just like button it all up as quickly as possible. because And have them ready. Because the worst experience of somebody getting hired is like getting an email that says, hey, can I call you on Monday? 
and you know that that like scheduled call is a is an offer, and then you get on the scheduled call, and they're like, "Hey, here's the offer," and you're like, "Cool." So, what does healthcare look like? And they're like, "Oh, we'll put you in touch with somebody from payroll," and they're like, "Okay, cool. What's four hundred one k?" Like, "Oh, we have one, but I don't know the details. We'll email them over." Yeah. No, just it doesn't have to be that crazy. Just know the information, give them a phone call, make it an easy experience. That way, when they get it, you've eliminated the questions or barriers to them saying yes. And they're excited. And they're excited. Yeah. Now, now, it's, now they don't, because you do it, like you say, you do it on a Friday afternoon. They're not sitting there thinking, oh, like, I wonder, like, I think I'm going to take this job and I need to see the healthcare. I need to see the 401k. I need to see the start dates. I need to see all these things. They're thinking they're going out for drinks on Friday. And they're telling their friends right. about the new job they just took because all the things are lined up. Right. And that's what you want. That's what you want to be. Yeah. And, so. and, and the other thing I try to do a lot myself is really just like, if I'm making you an offer, I'm going to pump you up. Like, I'm really yeah. excited to make you an offer. Like, I got to romance that. Which is why, like, I'm just going to cold call you because I'm pumped. Yeah. I, can't, I can't wait to this schedule. And I am. Like, internally, yeah, I'm, like, exactly. screaming when I get to make somebody an offer. I want to call. I'm going to be like, hey, here's the offer. Let me walk you through I'm the healthcare. So Let me excited get you through to the 401k. Like, yeah. I am pumped to work with you. It's so much more exciting when you get the call versus like cold email that's like, we're so excited to offer you this position. It's like, it doesn't really, Are you really feel excited? like it. Yeah. 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 And by the way, like somebody will tell me, there's a company I work with, who I had done a bunch of hiring with. And they're like, well, we like to have these three people on that call. Great. We're still doing the cold call. And when I do it, by the way, I call them, dial them in and then dial the person in and connect it all. And like, here we go. Here's all four of us. We're making an offer together. That's how excited we are. Right. I don't care. We're not scheduling a meeting. We're doing this because we are excited. If we're not, we probably shouldn't make that hire. Yeah. Yeah. So this actually speaks to kind of something that we've been kind of saying the whole time. Just make it a great candidate experience. Right. This is how companies can compete with Googles and the Facebooks and the sales forces of the world who can offer a lot more money, you offer them a better candidate experience so that they know what they get when they join. It's going to be a great culture. They're going to have fun at work. They're going to work with people that they really like and enjoy working with. Like that matters more than, oh, how much am I going to get paid? Yeah, no, totally. And anybody listening to this who does a bunch of hiring will will know, everybody will have that. Ex- they'll remember the time they were excited about a candidate and they were like, we scheduled a call to make him an offer. And when he showed up to make the offer, he said, I'll think about it for a day or two. And then he took a different job offer. Right. Like, well, yeah, because it was a shitty candidate experience. And so you didn't win him out culture, right? Like you lost him culturally, him or her culturally. That's a problem that you have. You have a culture where you're slow and boring. <laughs> don't be slow and boring. Yeah. Like, yeah, like be fun and fast. Exactly. It's, it's not that hard. You should be fun and fast. And so, yeah, no, I totally agree. Cool, cool. But I think, I, oh, I think that goes back to the beginning. If we tie this in a nice bow, if you have your process buttoned up at the beginning, you won't be slow at the end. Like you'll be yeah. ready to make the offer once your hiring committee has met yes. and made that decision, right? It's yeah. like, Right. Rule number one, have it set up from bottom to top, top to bottom. When you go, you got to be ready because if like in this market, you can't miss out on candidates. If you love someone, you kind of have to assume that they have a competing offer, even if they're like, oh, no, there's no one else I'm talking to. Don't, yeah. but don't assume. But don't overprocess it because there's a piece of this that happens when companies are like, here's our rigid structure. You get, especially at this end piece, they'll be like, yeah, and we'll have HR call to make an offer. I hate, I've gotten a job offer from somebody I've never heard from. Like Nancy from HR gives me yeah, a call. Exactly. Like, hey, I'm like, who is this? this? Is like, why are, yeah. if HR needs to be on it, dial them in. I don't care. But don't let somebody who's never spoken to the candidate be the person Give that makes the offer, the offer exactly. just because you want your HR, your recruiting team to like make that that conversation happen, right? So just keep it fun. But yes, process is very important. Cool, cool. All right, I'll do a, try to do a quick recap here. No hiring by committee. And uh, if you don't have an in-house ops professional, bring someone in like Jordan, like any of the other people in your network. I really do like Anna's point around put that 30, 60, 90 plan in the process up front. I think that's a great call. External referrals are a great source. Internal, questionable, really depends on if you're offering an incentive for that. So that one you got to. God, I love that we just wrecked. I love that we wrecked internal bonus plans for hiring. I I know. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people are going to be like, damn it, I'm not going to get paid my bonus referral now. Yeah. That $500 or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Bring in someone with op experience. I'm a big fan of the take home exercise, but when you do it, make sure it's not. Uh, costing people a ton of time and you're not exploiting them for actual work that you're going to use. Have great questions. I think we all 
put out some good questions that we like to ask in the interview process. Have that salary uh, conversation up front so you don't have to worry about it later so it doesn't kill your uh, candidacy or your chances with the candidate later on. And then last but not least, the most important one, have a great candidate experience. Just offer them a great candidate experience. That can be your competitive advantage when you're trying to hire your startup and you're trying to hire against these giants with billions of dollars to throw at this stuff. Yeah, no, it is. And that one goes to like frequency of communication. Don't let things sit for a period of time. Being clear and concise. At the end of the interview, you should know whether you like this person or not. Give them like a thumbs up, thumbs down on the spot. Like, hey, by the way, I'd love to move you forward in the process. Why not? Yeah. Just communicate. Open, it's all part uh, of yeah, experience. exactly. Yeah. Even if you do have to talk with other candidates, be upfront with them and say, all right, I'm going to get back to you in three days and then make sure you do actually yeah. get back to them in three days. Yeah. And I've got two candidates I'm interviewing and then I will let you know where we're at in the process, right? Like just be honest. Yeah, exactly. That, that's like, I, all I, the candidates I'm really, really excited about you for this role. I still have to interview these other people, but I promise yeah. I'll give you three days and then do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And totally. ask people who are looking for a role, like make sure that if they are not being clear, you are clarifying. Like a question that I have stumped a lot of people on is I, at the end of an interview, I'll say, do you have questions? Do you have reserve? Like, are you, do you have any oh, reservations? reservations? Yeah. Yeah. And like, if they pause and are just like, Ooh, it's like, okay, like we're not moving forward. Right. Like, and that also is a transparency thing too. Cause it's like, if you're not willing to give me feedback and you know, you're not moving me forward, it's not going to be a good relationship anyways. So it, Unfortunately, it changed the relationship going forward. I, I will still refer people to work at the company if I think it's a good company. But at the end of the day, if you can't be honest with the candidate that you're talking to, yeah, it's not that great of a candidate experience. Exactly, exactly. All right, but, we've been going long. Should we should we go to the last segment? Yeah, let's do the last segment. Okay, last okay. Well, that was important. Oh, okay, yeah, it usually is. I'm just kidding. I've actually got one and... Yes, this was actually a real question, not from Anna, although she might have the same question. It was it was actually sent to me. So now on to This Week in LinkedIn. There it is. There it is. All right. So this is a question that I actually got this a few weeks back from Sarah. You haven't made any book recommendations on the pod in forever. Have you read anything good lately? And I know Anna likes this question as well. Well, let's, let's start with you, Anna. Have you read anything good lately? I have a Patrick Lencioni book on my bookshelf that I want to read. I think it's called The Advantage. Yes, um, I love that book. Great book. Jordan got me on to finally Patrick reading Lencioni. The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which was like those the are the best only book two Lencioni books that you need. Yeah. yeah. So I'm hoping to crack that one open right now. I'm reading fiction, which is what I read when I need to like not mm. think about how chaotic my life is. Any good um, fiction? called Little Beach Street, if anyone wants to read a UK chiclet fiction. Little Beach Street. I couldn't tell you who the author is. Little Beach Street. All right. I don't read any fiction. Well, it's been a long time. Yeah. I read some, but I have not read Little Beach Street, which sounds bad. (laughs) You don't read chiclet, Uh, Jordan? (laughs) I don't read chiclet, really, very frequently, as it turns out. I'm an English major, so like as soon as I graduated, I'm like, I am never reading literary fiction ever again, and just went hard in the opposite direction. There you go. Nice. Nice. Patrick Lencioni, always good, right? Actually, we've touted that so many times on the podcast, the five dysfunctions of a team too. Somebody tagged me on LinkedIn this weekend. They're like, I finally read this because the OG Ops podcast like keeps saying we should read it. And I was like, and then they put like their five takeaways. And I was like, hell yeah. Like that is, if I could, I I tell people I meet at like the bar, go read that book. (laughs) It is fundamental to your career, basically any career. It's just awesome. Yeah, agreed. so my two most recent books, and one of them, let's say like book lightly, is, is I read a lot of the, you guys know in the airport where they like the, some like five HBR articles in one book that you oh, can yeah, buy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I do those a lot. I just read the one on happiness, which was fantastic. Highly recommend it. There's a lot of like really valuable points. And the, the, one of the key takeaways for me in, in general in it is like, if you try to be happy, you won't be happy. And so like, <laughs> right. you should just like, like, it's just like not a possible thing. So which is, yeah, yeah, go read it. It's very good. And then uh, one that I'm just finishing up, which is a reread for me, is uh, How to Be a Stoic by Massimo Pigliucci, which I'm going to totally butcher that name. <laughs> but uh, I'm a big fan of applying stoicism in my day-to-day life, particularly as it comes to ops things, not making me boil over all the time. So Yeah, you uh, need the stoicism in your life if you're going to be an ops. You do. You really do. So it's a very well-written book. So I highly recommend it. 
What is it called again? I got to check that one. How to be a stoic. How, How to, to be, be a stoic. stoic. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I, well, I, yeah, I got to check that one. I'm a bit, big fan of the stoicism as well. The one that I recently finished that I can't believe I didn't read this sooner. And I, th- I feel like every sales and marketing like leader should read this financial intelligence. And mm. it really is just about like, it's actually written for non-finance people and non-accounting people, managers, so that they can actually be more intelligent about how to evaluate and assess their businesses. How do you read the balance sheet? How do you read the income statement? What's the difference? Like, how do you make the decision into which where to put stuff? And you can also actually just dig deeper on your own company. Are we actually doing well? You can start to ask those good questions. Hey, what, why is it under this item instead of this. And and you can actually start to see, are they doing some shady stuff? And are we not doing as well as we could be uh, doing? So that that's oh, that's, thing. that's really going back it's, to the interviewing piece. Like you should, that's a great book to read when you go into interviews. Like, oh, it's such a good, yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah, thinking about that, because especially when you're going to small startups, it's often hard to evaluate like where they're at financially and you can get yourself in a bad situation that way. Yeah, so, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm going to have to read that. That's a good, that's a good tip. Yeah, such a good book. Financial intelligence. There's a few different versions of it. I think they the first version came out in like the 90s or something. But yeah, definitely a great one. And and then one that I just started, Kevin Kelly's excellent advice for living. And it's just you know random tips that he's come across that he's passed along to his kids and family and loved one that he decided to put into a book. Nice. Just random yeah. tips for living. We're gonna have to summarize those and put them on the description. The so show notes. Yeah. Read them. Yeah. I love it. That's a good right, question. Well, I mean, I, I hate the segment. Like, we just bastardized the This Week on LinkedIn segment for Anna's segment, but whatever. It's good. People like it. <laughs> <laughs> I get asked, yeah, what books and what podcasts do you listen to? Like, those you get, two, you I get, get asked, asked that a lot. A lot because you, it's, it's because for 75 episodes, you have frequently been like, I was just listening to a podcast or I was just reading a book. <laughs> like, everybody knows that you just read and listen to podcasts like 80 hours a week. I, just, I, I, I wish. Yeah. I wish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on 3x 80 hours 80 yeah. hours equivalent on 3x that's yeah. that's true i say as fast as it goes as fast yeah. as it goes cool all right well i think this might be a record for a longest episode let's just wrap it up if you have any other questions send it to anna uh or me or jordan but honestly just send it to anna <laughs> leave your reviews five stars or the highest rating that you can give us on all the podcast <laughs> players and that is it anything else you guys want to say that was the worst outro i've ever heard <laughs> so i haven't practiced an outro i haven't no, practiced was, an outro it was so bad it was good is where it was was that your it. practice would you like to try again no oh, that's true it. this was that no let's we're go not, this, this was great thank you brandon for hosting that was awesome uh, th- I thank you for giving me the opportunity. I think I'll try it again. Yeah, I think we're going to have you do it 50% of the time moving forward. I, I would yeah. be okay. It means that marketing people might make it on the podcast. There you go. Wow. I haven't fired. had one right. of those in a while. See everybody. We'll see about that. See everybody next week. See you next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>